0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to, wait, what? A comics podcast or the Savage Critics website. Now with 30% less trick and at least half the U.S. daily requirement of treat, is episode 105 with Graham McMillan and I dressing up as semi-competent podcasters just in time for Halloween 2012. Today we break out the shovels and dig our discussions extra deep with nearly half an hour on just the first issue of Multiple Warheads by as well as 45 minutes on the extraordinary Marvel Comics The Untold Story by Sean Howe. We also ring the doorbells of the spooky porches belonging to Batman Incorporated number 4, Flash number 13, the first issue of Ghost, and Graham details the special razor blade apple that is Superman, issue 13. In just a hair over two hours, this has enough ear candy for you to go to bed with a stomach ache until at least Thanksgiving. Nonetheless, we hope you enjoy, and as always... Thanks for listening. Jeff
1: Lester. Jeff
0: Lester. <laughs> do,
1: do, 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 Uh Not that that tunes now in my head. Damn it. Um, mm-hmm. Hi. Hello. Mm-hmm. Hi, hi, listeners. Jeff and I definitely have not already start tried to start the podcast. Did such a bad job of it that we decided to restart or anything. There's no way that's possible.
0: No. That, no. There's no. Way
1: are so unprofessional that we could have gotten seven minutes into recording and then both pretty much looked at each other through the Skype ether and went, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> and let first think about this. Think about what we normally keep in and then wonder what could have been so bad that we decided not to use it.
0: Yeah, it, it is a secret that will haunt you to your graves. Or at least until we offered to tell you the secret as a Kickstarter incentive.
1: That's what I was gonna say. We should like you should keep that recording, and then oh, we'll yeah. be, like if we do subscriber or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Be, like if you subscribe, you'll get the mythical seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the lost recordings. <laughs> we should totally do the lost recordings. We should totally do like all the things that we cut out because we're you know potentially legally actionable mm-hmm. or just being too mean or whatever we should totally do that
0: we should we should cut the although i have to say like for those who are worrying at home there really isn't much we leave a lot in there's the there's a little bit of our shop think, talk at the end
1: do but any listeners really think that we don't leave a lot in yeah <laughs> I was anyone about to say to this podcast on a regular basis knows that we are not honing the podcast down <laughs> of of just wonderful awesome
0: sharpness (laughs) we go flabby a lot jeff i i some make say flabby i would say tasty you know as with any piece of fat on a cut of meat it's usually the juicy stuff that's how i feel
1: okay then i was reading and i go again it takes horribly off topic um the guardian has this thing that runs every thursday called how to make the perfect and some food stuff and it's Mm -hmm. how to make a perfect steak today Mm. and you're a
0: vegetarian you got... i'm sorry i yes i know but
1: you should have been like steak." <laughs> but what was fascinating is the the author is like i tried seven different steaks in a row oh god i came to this one and all i think was can you imagine being the taster because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a meat eater steak is wonderful mm-hmm. but the idea of even like sampling seven steaks in a row mm-hmm. i think the last one i'd be like yeah no Sure. This is a perfect one. Yeah, let's stop here. Yeah, this is great. This is absolutely <laughs> ideal. <Let's>
0: just stop. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't hold much appeal, does it? Yeah. Because um, I mean, other ones
1: have been like you know, perfect creme caramel, the perfect ice cream, and it's like that. I could gorge myself on, but steak, I, I, that would just be a little bit too much.
0: I don't know. I, I think if you paste it out, it could work. But definitely seven different steaks in a setting. I think that'd be kind of admittedly, as the taster and as the vegetarian taster. Uh so I'm going to well actually, you know, Graham, since our our plans are, listeners, for us to do the very first Wait What book club, uh, with Graham and I talking Marvel Comics The Untold Story by Sean Howe. But I don't know, Graham, do you think we should catch up on like news and maybe uh other comic reviews before we sort of dig into that let's do that let's let's ease ourselves in as much as anything i was about to say considering we were talking about steak um
1: exactly maybe we're not quite ready yet yes you know what's really funny i realized this yesterday seeing you tweet about multiple warheads Mm
0: -hmm.
1: the first week in the longest time that you and i have both been to the comic store before yes
0: that is a great thing. I'm glad to hear that you you were there and I, I yeah, I also did make it in and I was going to I was actually going to cut from talking about seven different kinds of steak to multiple warheads. So, um, on the same wavelength. Mhm. Mhm. So, uh, dude, what did you think?
1: I liked it. I liked it a lot. Oh
0: my god. I really thought it was great. I mean, first off, listeners, it is 50 pages for $3.99 in color. It is really
1: just... just, It's gorgeous, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like, as much as I've always liked his line work, his colors? Yeah. Gorgeous.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's just some extraordinary... Well, there's extraordinary everything here. So I I don't know. For me, I don't know if you want to start in and and uh I'll rant for a while or if you want me to start
1: you start because i all I could really say at this point is it's everything I like about his work that's in mm-hmm. city that is absent from profit for me
0: yeah yeah actually what was great about it was I went from reading profit issue thirty to uh to multiple warheads one and uh I enjoyed uh profit issue thirty a a lot actually it's uh it's the first of the Giannis Marconis issues that I think I, I liked as much as the, as close to, um, as much as the Feral Del Rimple stuff or even the, the occasional Simon Roy issue. Um, but in that one, which I, I th- and there's kind of a great link in that it was like, I read Prophet 30 and, um, you know, enjoyed it and then, uh, at the back of it, there was like an ad for Multiple Warheads. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And I picked it up. So a lot of the stuff that's in Prophet Issue 30, for people who are reading Prophet and and are enjoying it, that real sense of otherness um, that you get from Prophet is also apparent in Multiple Warheads. But the thing that I found fascinating is it is absolutely 100% utterly different in tone, despite yeah. it being in some ways almost the same thing you know yeah
1: it's it's actually incredibly similar in a lot of ways to profit Mm -hmm. but it's the tonal difference that really makes this work for me in a way that profit doesn't Mm -hmm. i find this so much more playful and so much so much more joyful than profit Mm -hmm. profit Mm -hmm. i feel is very serious
0: Mm -hmm. interesting uh you know there's there's I don't know if you caught it, but there's a comic that that one of the characters is reading in the back seat of the car in multiple warheads. It's called Barbarian Revenge. And in some ways, in a very science fiction y way, Prophet is in many ways. Yeah, Barbarian Revenge (laughs) just in space. Mm -hmm. So. Um, there is a way in which it's kind of that, that sort of clever, like, oh, yeah, like, Prophet is the sort of comic book that people might be reading in multiple warheads. Yeah, exactly. And, mm-hmm.
1: But I don't know. Again, because there's lots of things that I feel that um, Graham does in multiple warheads that he has done in Prophet. For example, when you see the um, the Secret Black Bakery back room shot mm-hmm. and you've got all the food and all of it is labeled – hmm Like, he's done that in Profit. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you've seen Profit, you know, empty out his pockets and everything's labeled. Yes. There's something about the actual execution of it.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That it's, it's vastly th- different, isn't extremely
1: it? Extremely different. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, because I was thinking about this when I was reading it, part of it is the holistic quality of multiple warheads, mm-hmm. that it's hand-lettered, that I, and again, I may be entirely making this up, but it feels as if it's lettered on the artboard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, or at least that's how it comes across that when you see for example the black uh, bakery back room Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. there are sort of meta comments about the drawings on the drawings Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean so you see like the Dr. Oswald or the Puff Puff or the Fat like, and it's not a speech balloon it's not a caption it's just like part of the drawing Mm -hmm. makes the whole thing seem much more of a a a whole Mm -hmm. in a way that when he does the same thing in the first issue of Prophet, it right. seems more um, official or authoritarian, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and that remove, I feel, really changes the way that you read that scene.
0: Oh, very much so. Very much so.
1: And also, I feel that Multiple Warheads, and in part because it is 50 pages, meanders a lot more. And because of that, feels a lot more human. Right. I feel that Prophet uh, keeps itself a distance away from its characters. Mm-hmm. because of the way it tells its story. Mm-hmm. But I feel that Multiple Warheads* is a lot more uh, personal and personable.
0: Oh, yeah. It's very personable. In fact, the thing that I think is interesting is that it is it is hard to think of a uh, comic creator or, or even just a regular creator or writer for whom uh, the pun Seems such a um, insight into the working process. You know what I mean? You know it, it's because you know puns are by their nature sort of inherently playful. But the way that Graham actually, you know, he likes a good pun. But in in the play, in multiple warheads, there's levels in which he takes takes a pun and he works it into a very very strange conception. You know. Uh, of an item or an object uh i'm i'm trying to think of the uh, a really good example um you know the auto barons perhaps you know um and uh you know something about the nature of the pun which like i said is playful and also gives lends it helps lend it that organic quality mm-hmm. um really keeps you at, at First, I, I tend to I tend to have a a, a somewhat um, guarded view. You know, those people who believe that puns are the lowest form of humor. I'm I'm a little closer to being in that orbit than others. Um, but but Graham really, I think, sort of redeems the pun here. He really I, works the pun. Like mm-hmm. it goes beyond
1: that word sounds like that word. Ha ha ha. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. come to sort of to, and he did the same thing in King City. So King City is full of puns. Yes, um, but he does something with it, I guess. Like it's not mm-hmm. just there to be a pun, right. Uh, right? Which I think is is really nice. It, I, but yeah, it's definitely more playful. It, it's definitely something that makes you think that he's having fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Comic, yeah. Do you think? And this is going to be this may hit like one hundred percent wide of the mark. But did multiple warheads remind you at all of uh, Craig Thompson's Carnet de Voyage? No, for me. Interesting.
1: What because really reminded me of um, Brendan McCarthy's work.
0: Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, well, McCarthy stuff, certainly with the Zosser of Zilk, there's the playfulness and the punishness. And...
1: Yeah, it's playfulness and the puns, but also the very um, complete alternate reality. Mm. Mm. So even if he's making it up as he goes along, and I think that both Graham and McCarthy do this, mm-hmm. do it with such earnestness, mm. that they refuse to sort of wink back at the audience with I I'm just making this shit up. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's a very firm, this, well, the world.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's kind of what I was going with in the sense of Carnet of Voyage. And it is that multiple warheads is, um, a good chunk of it feels like a travel comic. And also a travel comic in which... The characters themselves are sort of foreigners to what they see, which gives you a lot of excuses for, you know, exposition and for yeah. them talking about things.
1: Yeah, things like the maps or uh, the part where go goes after we eat it's jazz and caffeine cigarettes while Nick sleeps in the back. We left the dead city almost three weeks ago underground through the trans-tech tunnels. And that entire sequence where you see the, it really is like he's like, okay, here's your, this is the world shot.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly there definitely that's
1: a point of that. Here's a question for you. did it remind mm-hmm. you of Saga?
0: Oh yeah, actually it did. toward the end there uh, especially I think toward the end once some of the a- uh, action kicked in there's an especially weird yeah. Saga I isn't there mm-hmm. it is because you you basically have you know a traveling couple they don't have a child, but you kind of get the sense they're not necessarily on the run. And then as a counterpoint, you have a bounty hunter who, you know, is kind of badass and irreverent doing their thing, and you sense that those ties are going to collide. And on top of that, there's also the feeling of the same way that Saga quite firmly refuses to be either straight science fiction or straight fantasy, but sort of merges both of them in a way that shouldn't work but does is really what's going on here too in multiple warheads yes yes um, I,
1: I yeah it, it's i think it's funny because i i wonder if multiple warheads is going to be as successful as saga i kind of think it's not just because i think brian K Vaughan is more of a name oh yeah i also think that people who like saga would probably really like this comic
0: mm-hmm. well i don't know you know i on the one hand i totally agree with you it's it's kind of uh,
1: written in Saga in a way, so maybe not. My,
0: my thing is is that I feel that Saga is mostly straight with a heavy dose of silly. And I feel like Multiple Warheads is mostly silly with, uh, with a strong streaking of straight, if you see what I'm saying. No,
1: I do. Totally. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that. I just, I'd be really curious to see someone who has never read uh, Graham's work before. But really gets into saga. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, because I, I, I feel like you and I are both marks for this. I feel that like we were both like, King City's awesome. Oh my yes, God, I can't read this, and mm-hmm. so we were like, yeah, it's it's kind of like saga. Mm-hmm. But we were already going to be fans, I guess. Like I'd be used pleased to see someone who really likes saga read it and see
0: if they even saw the parallels, right right Uh, that would be curious i you know for me i i i was a fan but i think I, i mentioned i had some trepidation about it um and and i was incredibly pleased that um that multiple warheads is is you know you know far far you know i felt like oh, okay i've got nothing to worry about because the other thing is is that you know the 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 old black and white first issue of multiple warheads from was it oni that published it um i remember thinking cuz it came out not long after after king city uh, the first volume you know and i was like it's okay but i found it kind of um it it was a little too light it was just a little too um Trifly, you know and what i like about multiple warheads is although it feels like it's it it does have the feel of a lark to it in many ways there's also just enough i don't know maybe it's just that there's a higher degree of skill there but i do get the feeling of something's at stake there's something closer to emotional investment is going to happen than than what i felt from the first issue of
1: it, well it feels it feels more complete Uh, Mm -hmm. And more thought through, and it has more intent.
0: Yes. I guess that's a good, I think that's the perfect word. You can feel the intent behind it. But at the same
1: time, have you read the very first version of Multiple Multiple War Hits? Like the pre-Oni version? No, I haven't. Someone, and I can't remember who, and I wish I could because I'd ask them to send it to me again, sent me uh, the original version back when it was Mm -hmm. a porn comic. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And what is kind of amazing is the, is that it's not really different, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like you, I feel that there's a continuity. I feel that you could easily read that, then the mm-hmm. Oni version, and then his first version. Yeah, read it as three issues in the same series. Right, but well, the the the, the gaps in his creation, I guess. Like this, mm-hmm. this comes this the image issue comes t- five years after the mm-hmm. Oni issue. The Oni right. issue was two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that in itself was a good three or four years after the I think it was NBM to the the, mm-hmm. the porn version, mm-hmm. you know. And I I feel that it's it really is like it's the same series, but he keeps coming back to it at different points in his career. Yes, and so it shifts like it, mm-hmm. the, the way he tells the story and what the story is about shifts, mm-hmm. even if it's the same plot, even if it's the same characters.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I it, which is which is pretty intriguing, and if nothing else, I feel yeah, it, it, his chops have grown so much between the only issue that I read. I mean, I've read some of his other porn stuff and and found it, um, you know, it's 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 enjoyable. It's just I'm fascinated by the degree in which somebody can do a degree of like, oh yeah, this is just it's going to seem all like a playful lark, but the ability and the craft and the skill and the talent all make it seem more than the sum of its parts, you know? Yeah. Um, And that, that's really amazing. Uh, What did you think of the sex scene, the, and the, uh, in this issue?
1: What, uh, I was surprised by it, I guess.
0: Mm -hmm. I,
1: I I liked it, I guess. I, I -hmm. I don't know what you're asking. I, I was surprised to see it in a really strange way.
0: Mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah no it I does remember, i like... i didn't want to lead you on this no I, I...
1: I remember being reading it and be kind of like huh mm-hmm. they're fucking but I, I didn't like it didn't do anything beyond that like it didn't break the narrative floor and things it's like three panels
0: well and this is <coughs> i guess this is the thing that i found interesting having seen enough of other graham's sketchbook work and of course you know that nbm volume of his porn stuff uh, and I, I'm trying to think if there was if there was sex in in the Oni version as well, but <clears throat> I I thought it was fascinating the extent to which he kept he kept it pretty minimal. He kept it down to three panels. It, I felt like he, like, weirdly enough, for a book that's so completely, um, and utterly feels like one person, creation and vision being driven exactly to the extent that they wanted that sex scene was the one where i was like that feels a little truncated for graham i kind of felt like he was reining I, it in honestly I, mm-hmm. I, I i didn't
1: i didn't get that mm. um it seemed i don't know it seemed as appropriate as it needed to be i guess for one of a better way of putting it Mm-hmm. um And here's the thing I did like, Mm -hmm. that for the sex scene, it's the guy going down on the girl. And that's Mm -hmm. it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Mm -hmm. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not
1: the other way around, and there's no, like, here's my breasts. None of that. Right. I really liked that, and something about that made it seem more intimate between the characters. Mm -hmm. And especially the way that he did it. Mm -hmm. And less gratuitous as it could have seemed otherwise.
0: Well, and that again, those is, are is, things that is, I think are interesting. Is that your
1: you wanted it to be more gratuitous, or or that you expected it to be more
0: gratuitous? Um. Yeah, I I don't know how the right word is. It's like gratuitous sort of suggests something. Oh no, different. I guess you know what I mean. Like I guess what I felt was is that it for me it's almost like seeing like an R Crumb comic, where it goes to a certain point and then it doesn't go as far as you would think that Crum would go. And I just found that kind of interesting it, to me. It's really, it's like this, what this scene was Graham felt. It was important enough for the characters and for what he wanted in a comic to put it in there. Mm-hmm. But I also felt that he had a definite. I, I just, I just had a strong suspicion that he was raining it back, dialing it down. Much more than I think he would have preferred, and I'm curious as to whether he—that's because, you know, how he sees, uh, you know, what his desires are in terms of how he wants the book I think to be uh, seen. Um, you know, not so much in the sense of he's afraid of being seen as you know a porno artist or anything like that, because I think he's pretty open about that. I I think he just doesn't want the book to, like be limited in its distribution i
1: think well here's something interesting mm-hmm. do you feel follow brandon graham's website at all
0: uh yes uh, well his yeah did, i do did you
1: see the okay So the front first page of multiple Hearts that's printed is a beautiful Marianne churchland page
0: mm-hmm. yes
1: did you see that uh it was not always the case and the page he took out
0: no, no, I didn't.
1: Ah, uh, I'm trying to find his website now to look this up because it was a page uh, that he drew of Sexica that he took out because I'm trying to find the page. Okay, I've just scrolled past it because I am doing it. Uh, I was getting ready for the book to be sent off and just shaking my head at this being the first page people see, people see of the character. Like, come on, dude, that's weak. I like mm-hmm. the drawing still, and I'm not backtracking on my love of drawing naked ladies. I just didn't want to introduce the character as ass. I'm trying to be a better Brandon, and all. I'll put it in the Walrus book. So I think there is some element of mm-hmm. he's trying to pull back on uh, maybe not what he, what he wants to do, but I think he might be trying to be more mainstream.
0: Right. Even if well, even if or, so much yeah. that
1: is not mainstream about this comic.
0: Yes. Well, and that's it. I don't think that it's necessary. It's funny. I wouldn't have thought, uh, not mainstream, but let's say inclusive. Okay. If you see what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I, 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 totally,
1: I, I totally do. But I, I think mm-hmm. it's interesting because I, I didn't put that together at all. But mm-hmm. then when you were talking about it, I was like, yeah, and there's that
0: picture that he took out. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I, since you mention it, I'm like, oh, right. I do remember that entry. It didn't really stick. I mean, the thing that's ironic is he does have a, the character's name is Sexica. You yes. know what I mean? Which I think is kind of that well, I mean, interesting. Yeah,
1: it's where the characters come from. Right. Although, exactly. while we've been talking, I was looking him up on uh, IMDb and looking at Escalator, which I've got, which is his alternative comics collection. Mm-hmm. I think I didn't read the porn version of Multiple Warheads. I think what someone sent me was Perverts of the Unknown, which he did. Because I mm. think the earlier version of Multiple Warheads I read is the strip that's in the elevator. Mm. Because there's mm-hmm. like an eight page strip that's in the elevator.
0: I need to get my hands on that.
1: Uh, there's um, multiple
0: warheads. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that. that uh, so
1: I, yeah, I think I think my brain is playing tricks on me because I was looking through elevator and being escalator rather than being like, oh, that that's the thing I read. So that's obviously not what someone sent me. So I think it, they might have sent me the pervers of the unknown
0: collection. Ah, uh, huh. interesting. Yeah, so it, it's fascinating. It is one of those things that that you know, I think might trip them up a little bit. You know, you have that fidelity to your characters that are 12 years old that are, you know, that you care about and are dear to you. Um, and then you get this strange kind of like, you know, in the course of updating them, you know, to be more inclusive, you still have a character named Sexica, you know? So it's like, eh, you know. Obviously, that, For...
1: that's, that's weird, because Sexica does not trip me up at all. unlike didn't the first time I read Multiple Warheads or anything. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I I guess I see that as... Graham playing with puns again and Graham playing with names. Mm-hmm. Like, much more, the thing that much more tripped me up was the the final page about the Quimmy slugs.
0: Oh, yeah, the Quimmy slugs. Right, yep. exactly. It's like
1: mm-hmm. a bit on the nose. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: I, didn't, yeah, I don't, didn't even have a second thought. In part because I think I was reading it as Sexton. I'm not sure why.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it may be just not having an analogous um thing i was just like sexica stands out to me as yeah sexy you know it doesn't it doesn't i'm like i don't maybe if i knew a sexton or a lexica or something but i'm just kind of like the it's got a little bit of the well you know the name says sexica
1: (laughs) name says sex yeah
0: Mm -hmm. exactly so um so i think it's interesting the extent to which uh That that's an element, and I'm I'm, you know, just to make it clear, I'm in no way criticizing um, Graham for either having the original direction that he did or for changing it as he goes along. I just think that it it sort of reminds me of, um, you know, situations in which uh, the two that come to mind are like James Cameron or Luc Besson, who had like you know. the abyss and uh the fifth element respectively uh, is if i'm remembering correctly are like you know screenplays and things that they wanted to do since they were teenagers and by the time they got to do it it kind of was a little bit of it almost seemed like a step back um for them in their respective um uh what what you would call oeuvres i guess for lack of a better word um one of the things that's really delightful about multiple warheads is is that he's revisiting these characters uh and but so much of this book feels like a step forward you know it really feels like an evolution of what he was doing from king city which is ironic because some of these issues some of these pages clearly must have been done before he wrapped up king city
1: but what is i mean for me also i feel like a lot of it feels like an evolution or at least uh parallel to what he's doing in profit because mm, i really right. do i really exactly. do see a connection with what he's doing in profit in these pages yeah page. but again yeah, very strong i think a lot of this must have come before
0: mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's an
1: interesting thing that prophet is his reworking it yeah and also his reworking it to not be his characters and to play in someone else's world
0: right Right, although although, yeah. Well, no, that's just
1: Like, Prophet is is very much out there. Prophet is very much not like playing with all the other Rob life characters. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I really, I do get a sense of Prophet being his attempt to play it straighter than he does with his own work.
0: Well, yes, play it straighter. Let's put it that way. And in some ways, I think that actually pays pretty good dividends for me. I mean, there's, um, I always find it hilarious whenever Prophet sleeps with an alien creature of some sort. You know, like like a lot of what revolves around uh, an issue in this most recent issue is the original John Prophet, the the old Prophet who's who's been running. You know, through the book, you find a lot of his motivation is um, brought about from the very strong love of his life, which is a lizard woman. And when I say a lizard woman, I mean like a, a lizard. lizard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so some of the scenes of them, the scenes of them cuddling are actually really unexpectedly sweet. And the one panel of them fornicating is kind of hilarious, I think. You know, um, I, I just because I think there is kind of that context of He's taking those those old Conan, the barbarian tropes of like, here's Conan sleeping with an exotic woman. Like, it's like, well, it doesn't get more exotic than the lizard. So, you know. I, I even when he's playing it straight, there's a lot of the imp, I think, to to what Graham's work does. Oh yeah, but... I,
1: I don't think he could play it entirely straight. Do you know what I mean? Like no, Graham yeah. is never going to be Jeff Jones. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and and thank God for that for maybe all involved. So hey. Are we going to do the thirty-minute hop-on, hop-off? Because it's been thirty minutes exactly. Okay, let, which is let's do that then. All right, great. Hopefully, even though our connection sounds great on my yeah, end,
1: yeah, um, you know that if we just keep going, it will eventually turn shit. So yeah, let's not. Let's let's take a break, Listen, yes. to, We'll be back after this musical interlude, during which Jeff will tell you of the latest sponsor for the Wade Watt podcast. <laughs> That's just
0: brilliant. Currently, Wait What has no sponsors But if you're interested in sponsoring Please drop us an email at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com And we're back (laughs) That tickles and pleases me to no end I have to say Why? (laughs) I don't know, you do it really well So that's the pleasing part The part that tickles me, though Is kind of the fact that you're just I don't know. You know, we're not actually even gone. I always find it amusing, like, when I'm listening to, like, some program on NPR that they, like, cut the commercial break for, and then the radio station just runs it together. And it's like. Well, that's what I always love when you listen to them in podcasts. They're Mm -hmm. like, and when we come back, we'll be talking about blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And then
1: you're, do, 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 do. And then you're like, welcome back. And you're kind of like,
0: you've you've been away for two seconds. I haven't gone anywhere. (laughs) Neither of you.
1: (laughs) So, yeah. maybe they did we don't know maybe like that's us true. they take a break in recording
0: yeah well we didn't take much more of a break than, than that I well that's to just it it really was hey what else did you read this week uh, let me see I read Prophet issue 30 which as I mentioned I did enjoy I read Batman Incorporated number 4 which felt really odd to me in about really a, yeah I loved
1: it I liked it much more than I think any other issue of the series so far
0: hmm interesting well tell me about that and why uh in large part because and maybe this is
1: just because i haven't read it for a while i guess mm-hmm. uh burnham's art i thought was just great i mm. I, th- I think that he's really coming into himself i guess like there's definitely parts where you can still see the quietly influence and the zero influence mm-hmm. but the the fight scenes i think are great especially the scene where God, I can't even remember which character it is. Is it El Gaucho hits someone and they smash out of the panel? Oh yeah. But the other panel, like the other side, of the panel is smashing in the same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd love, I'd love things like that. I, yeah. I thought that it looked an amazing issue. I thought the part where Batwing uses the ultrasonics. Mm-hmm. I think that page is just really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the art really, really helped. I liked the reveal of who uh what's his name wingman is yes i i thought that was really nice and very grant morrisony mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: in in the you know grant morrison's massive inclusionary thing mm-hmm. I, I thought i thought it seemed very what i would expect from him but hadn't thought about i guess mm-hmm. uh although i also feel that it completely kind of fucks everyone else's batman continuity oh <laughs> like, yeah oh, they're friends. They're back in um but at the same time i'm not that bothered about continuity so i was like yeah that's a really interesting thing for this and i could just pretend that it happened for everything else um, right and i kind of just liked damien in this issue i like mm-hmm. his i liked that he acted like a kid i like yes. when confronted with the i grounded you he was like you didn't you grounded robin and i'm totally not robin right now and mm-hmm. he was really upset that everyone else knew a that Jason Todd was there and that mm-hmm. he felt like he'd let everyone down and that all felt very honest to me I guess mm-hmm. like I liked a lot of the emotions in this issue I liked that they defeated the League of Assassins and Batman was essentially okay we're done right mm-hmm. I and, and was rebuffed I, I yeah I, I just there was a lot about this issue that I really liked
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: so why did it make you feel weird
0: I don't know. I it may be that case of the gap between issue 3 and the zero issue m- makes it feel like uh, for one thing I should have reread issue 3. So I kind of dropped into it kind of like I remembered the matches Malone cliffhanger, but a lot of the rest of it I'm kind of like I didn't remember as much, you know. So there was just kind of this sense of You know, I kind of vaguely remember that Matches Malone was trying to um, work his way inside an organization. And I couldn't remember if it was Leviathan or not. But um, I definitely didn't get a sense that it was like the League of Assassins until halfway through. So all of a sudden, it sort of felt like it ended up being a much bigger issue, um, which would have been fine. Except I kind of felt like the stakes were getting... Shifted a lot around a lot, and in the case of, as I sometimes feel with Morrison, in kind of an arbitrary of the moment way, and admittedly there are times where I'm absolutely wrong on that, and it's just I haven't read it carefully, and it's actually done well, Um, you know, or or done more subtly than than someone who's reading it on a monthly in and out basis with a poor memory such as myself um, could actually handle, Mm -hmm. Uh, but. Yeah, I just felt – I felt apart for some great storytelling from Burnham, um, I, I, I wasn't really sure of the characterization between uh, uh, Gaucho and whatever his name, the Crusader. Oh, really? I really enjoyed that. Maybe that's a British thing. <laughs> well, but I don't – but it's like I don't really – I don't see where it was coming at from. You know, I mean, there's also part of me that also is aware that um,
1: it's a Falklands
0: uh, Islands joke. Like, you know, yeah, sure. But I I get where the nature of the joke is. I just don't see where it originates in the work. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do know that, of course, for me, having spent some time in Buenos Aires, I kind of felt like on the one hand, it would almost make more sense the other way around because because the Argentinians are incredibly sensitive about the Falkland Islands. You know in no no small part because they lost, yeah, so well,
1: I, I see i I did not have that problem, like it seemed very much like a macho english uh inability to give up a grudge, and also um, it felt errant to me because Gaucho had been not exactly untrustworthy but kind of untrustworthy earlier on the series,
0: mm hmm Mm-hmm. You
1: know, so it 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 felt earned to me that a character would be suspicious of him and would give him a hard time, and in particular, it would be this character because this character is a clearly a dick and b mm-hmm. has a xenophobic grudge against.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I guess I can I guess hmm, how how do I put it? I saw I could it it looked to it was like it's like when you look at a coloring book and it's not colored in. It's like I see the picture, but it doesn't it just doesn't really seem especially complete to me, you know? Um, I think I see your I see your points based on some of the older stuff, but literally the panel to panel transition where, you know, the guy turns around and is like, Hey, I'm tired of your crap and Gaucho's like, What? Which would be fine if he had said something other than, yeah, I see him. You know what I mean? It was almost like I felt like Morrison's like, uh, all those beats feel so cheesy. I'll just leave it out. And then, you know, people just assume that, uh, it went, uh, based on the voice, you know, the whole thing with, with, uh, the assassin goat boy and his showdown with Batman, uh, and his kind of, you know, uh, and spoilers, everyone where he was all like, I lied for you. I faked the picture. I put my life on the kid. Leviathan offered more than you. And then I was just like, wait, okay, where's all this coming from? I mean, I know that the setup is the fake death of Robin earlier on with Goat Boy. But all the double reversals that he's talking about here in that, I'm like, I don't remember seeing any of that. You know, much less the the double cross is you can figure out because he says it. But then it looks like there's just a whole redouble cross. Um, And ultimately, like you said, I felt like Jason's emotions, uh, Damien's emotions were completely understandable. And the way that he was sort of baldly naked in that sort of frustrated kid way was perfect. But I really didn't get the whole context of Batman's crushed the entire League of Assassins and then is like, okay, but you're going to have to stop being Robin. You know, basically, you have to go back to your mother. We've lost. I was like, what am I missing on that? If you don't, Gotham, the world will be plunged into chaos. And you, Damien, you're going to be responsible. You know? I it's, it's it, Son, I wish it wasn't true, but I know now. You have to go back to her. What? Am I missing the impossible situation well, that you I, I, about? Well, I, I can see two readings for it. Mm-hmm.
1: There is the reading that he realizes the League of Assassins is the lesser of Leviathan. Mm-hmm. Because bear in mind, in the setup to Batman Incorporated, we kind of got told that when Batman was traveling through time, he saw more of Leviathan than we have. Mm-hmm. Like he's seen the scope of it. Right. So there might be the sense of he thought that originally that just stopping the League of Assassins would be enough, and he wouldn't have to face Leviathan. And then when Talia says, "No." He's like, "Well, fuck." Mm-hmm. Or the one that I read, which was pretty much it's some sort of head fake. Like he is se- sure. he's setting Damien up to be a. Double agent, like for one of a better way of putting it.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. Or a plant. I don't know. I see again. I I appreciate your explicating the first one because I'm like, oh yeah, right. I that makes sense. This all I saw was the second one. You know, is that is it's just feeling a little too much of Morrison's like, you know, oh here's victory from the jaws of defeat, but defeat from the jaws of victory. And now everything's totally fucked, but it's a fake out, and now it's not you know, yeah, like i I felt like all I'm seeing are the strings I'm not really seeing seeing or believing in the puppets that they're being connected to, so so yeah, i sad to say, particularly especially i i mean i and I have to admit Batman incorporated number zero, I remembered so little of that it's almost as if it didn't happen. I actually had to pick it up when it was a comics experience and flip through it to remind myself that i had had (laughs) it. yeah exactly so i'm probably way way behind the curve here but i remember the you know the death of matches malone issue like putting it down and being like that's really exciting i'm really excited to see what happens and then this was like okay i am no longer quite so excited like there's individual bits and pieces that that i enjoyed but but overall things just didn't cohere but I have to say, I felt that about some of the other books this week, too. I picked up the 13th issue of Flash and realized that even now that that um, Manipole is back on art, I I think I'm going to be jumping off because that just didn't – it did less than nothing for me.
1: Really? Um, I really enjoyed it, and I was kind of surprised by how <laughs> much I enjoyed it because I, I, I pretty much went into it thinking it was going to do nothing because that had been my problem before, that the individual mm-hmm. issues I was feeling really flat about, and then when I read them in a, in a sitting – I was like, oh, there are threads that connect. That was mm-hmm. definitely my, my experience with the first arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, if you remember, I dropped it and then came back for the second arc in reverse after reading the annual. Yes. Uh, and so I pretty much picked it up thinking, you know, at most I'll go, oh, it's a pretty comic. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I thought, there was, I thought there was more there. I think one of the problems is that he is writing long-term. And so mm-hmm. the individual issues do feel... Odd and oddly paced, mm-hmm. and there's definitely problems with it. The the Grodd tears off the trickster's arm thing oh, feel, yeah. feels like a joke. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. feels really out of place.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Like almost like he was told to put it in by the editor, and he did it in such an obnoxious way as a way to kind of go fuck you.
1: Yeah, it feels really, really, really strange. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I. I I I liked it. Like I liked the introduction of someone who may be Wally West. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the sort of not incredibly happy team-up between the Flash and the Rogues. I, then again, that's something I always like about the Flash. Sure. <laughs> that is a Flash trope that always works for me.
0: Always works for you. No, and I, I guess I'm glad that it was there, even at the same time of i just I didn't have any sense of 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 what they were fighting, you know are they fighting five gorillas are they fighting zero gorillas are they fighting ten gorillas you know which which is a great sentence to say out loud a couple of sentences I have to say but but yeah, i just i was kind of like i I just didn't really have any clear sense of the stakes I don't know, and just I was kinda like they it just it didn't it it all didn't work right it again felt like forced and rushed to me so um, so it's awesome that you dug it. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I, I finally picked up the second issue of Stumptown, and I, I think I like that more than the first issue. That was kind of a good thing, right? Yes, you know? It's well done, Jeff. I, Thank you. I,
1: no, I think it, I think it's a stronger issue overall than the first
0: mm-hmm. first. Okay. Well, that's a relief because I was like, huh, maybe it's just me browbeating myself, are we
1: but... Are we just going to be the opposite of everything?
0: Did you pick up Superman 13 by any chance?
1: I did not. That was a yeah. really weird issue. I picked it up uh, in large part because I wanted to see Clark Kent quit the planet. Like, I wanted mm-hmm. to see the entirety of that scene and not just the page that's online. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because I was genuinely curious about what Scott Lobdell was going to be like on the book.
0: Wow. And I have to say, based on that page online, and I think there was a DC comic, maybe it was Batman Incorporated, that ran the first three or four pages of that issue. Yeah, And I was like... I don't know what he's going for here. I well, you know? I
1: read the comic and I don't know what he's going for.
0: That's kind of mm-hmm. where he's going with this. It's a very
1: That's not true. I can see bits of what he's going for. Mm-hmm. But he does he's not there yet, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um he definitely he's definitely writing a much younger Superman
0: than it seems even grunt morrison is yeah that's kind of what i felt too there's kind of that thing where he's like i don't know there's one point where i don't know he flies in the window he's like man if only i could figure out a way to get paid for saving the world i wouldn't have to you know make rent or something i was like really yeah you know just like Or,
1: or but also when he um when he talks about like I've been a journalist for barely five years now, so why am I the one sounding like grizzled, ink-stained Wretch who, wrench who believes news should be about, I don't know, news? You know, like, it, like first of all, that entire scene
0: mm-hmm.
1: is so unsubtle,
0: mm-hmm. so
1: blisteringly my brain kind of boiled unsubtle. mm
0: mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm.
1: And it, 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 I don't know if you know this, it ties in with Lois is moving in with Jonathan Carroll, who, which I could be wrong. It might be the first time he's reappeared since the first issue of the series.
0: Good God.
1: Um, wow. And, and so he gets upset about that and he quits when his boss comes up. It's really weird. Because his boss comes up and is basically like, I've been monitoring what you do in your computer and I don't know why you're looking up this thing. That's not what you're supposed to be working on. Like, it's just, it's all really, really weird. And it mm-hmm. strikes me is Scalpel approached this issue as okay, and then there's going to be three pages where he quits the planet, and I'll I'll work that out later. Um, of scripting it, he was like, "Oh fuck it, okay." So so this is just what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. It, it, from the interviews, it sounds like he wants to he's going to make him into like a blogger, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is hilarious to me. Right, uh, right. Not only because. Yeah. I'm a blogger. Uh mm-hmm. but because it's aping um the Betty Brandt story from Amazing Spider Man.
0: Because
1: mm. she went into business as I want to say Bugle Girl, I might be misremembering that. <laughs> uh went under. Mm-hmm. She bought the intellectual property or something of the Daily Bugle. I, like <laughs> I, I may be misremembering, but that's I, I remember it. Wow. And it wow. is this like mainstream comics are like okay so reporter doesn't work anymore because mm-hmm. it's dying we'll make them bloggers and it's like no that works even less right that that is right. that is so much of a worse idea
0: <laughs> yeah i thought that was kind of appalling and uh but the first couple of pages of of labdell superman as weird and annoying as i found them i part of me was sort of I, i'm not intrigued enough to pick up the book in any way um but I did have a weird, like, oh, this is going to almost make me nostalgic. This is going to make me misna- nostalgic for Jeff Loeb's run on Superman. I can just sort of tell. What if, that, you know? like,
1: it's it's not good. Let's just put that out there. It is not mm-hmm. it's a leap forward in quality from what the book's been up until this point. Mm-hmm, it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: infinitely better. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and it could even end up being good. It's not there yet, but it's such a leap forward. Ahead of where it's been, if only because, yeah. again, you feel like he might actually have a direction, because run and the Jurgens run did not.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: They were quite clearly we're playing for time because we don't know what Morrison's going to do, and right. that now the Morrison's like I'm quitting. That they're like okay, just just do whatever you want with the book.
0: Well, but this is the other thing that is screwing me up. It's like I don't know where they're doing, where they're going to go with this. But the whole like, yeah. It's- if nothing else i just kind of feel sort of in the same way that people like shouldn't have like is like no joker for a year in batman it really should be no krypton for three years in superman you know you gotta you just gotta stay away from that well and it looks like that's kind of right where he went
1: but it's definitely right where he went The, the the end of this the issue is like, the last half is he's fighting a monster, and he's like, it looks familiar, but I don't know what it is. And then the end of the issue is Supergirl being like, that's from Krypton. What
0: are you, a retard? <laughs> that's not a real quote. But,
1: but, um... Yeah, it's uh, Ann Coulter's Supergirl, I meant to tell you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that would be fascinating. Oh,
1: stop right there. That's mm-hmm. Anyway, what I was going to say is um, – what I think they've been doing instead is no Lex Luthor for a year, because Lex mm. has barely been a presence in either book, which really surprises me. Right. And and feels like it's their version of the Joker. Do you know, mm. let's stay away from the established characters as opposed to the established, you know, concepts. Because I mean, Morrison's done Krypton by this point
0: twice. I know twice, and I was antsy about it each time i just i was willing to give him a little more credit because in theory he's doing he's doing the kryptonian backstory stuff you know like i'm kind of like okay he's doing superman's early years he's talking about the crypt but but even then i was finding myself being a little dubious about it even as much as i enjoyed bits and pieces of it i'm like also, I guess, how do I put this? Morrison is more able to do Krypton, I guess, in in a few other contexts. It certainly seems like it was a little more shading than just flat out, you know. E- even the Phantom Zone story, the, the Halloween story, seemed like he was like, yeah, I'm going to be doing this to be telling a Halloween story and a Phantom Zone story just as much, Yeah, you know, as it is like. You know, I'm going to have it so that there's going to be like a super punch out with a guy who's from Krypton and has superpowers, but is even more experienced and ruthless, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, I don't know. Just not my cup. Of, that's just not my cup of tea. That's just one of those things that just. It I it, it
1: was it was a weird read. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that I'm on board for the crossover that it's immediately going into
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it
1: is it's preludes to hell on Earth.
0: Yeah, I saw that, and not only does that title sound silly, but also it just runs through like ten titles. And part of me is like, well, I guess you don't have anything to lose with those titles. But I'm also kind of like, Ugh, I think I, you know, it's it's definitely doubling down. Let's put it that way. You know, it's if they do it wrong, none of those books will have any readers, as opposed I, to all of those books it, having.
1: I them. think it's going to be. I think it's going to hurt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, not so much the Superman title. I have the strangest feeling it's going to hurt Supergirl.
0: Interesting, interesting. I I would have said Superboy, but yeah, you know who knows.
1: Well, I have the feeling Superboy is actually going to come out with uh, like it's actually going to have a direction as a result of this. Like it's it's going to mm. affect the book, and therefore you can say okay, there was a purpose. Whereas I really think it's going to be like, and Supergirl gets included because it's got super in the title. Yeah, exactly. and that's, that's the crossovers Superboy. always hurt. There's no yeah. actual reason for the character to be involved.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I. It's even one of those things where, like, one of the editors notes where um, Ed, Eddie Berganza refers to himself as Biomall Berganza, and I'm like, dude, that's way too on the nose. You know. Yeah. It's kind of. It's what To me, it was one of those things of like, you know, that's really. I think that's one of those jokes that you got. You're going to have to. Like, I appreciate the the nod to the the marvelousness of it, but. I'm like, mm, yeah, I, you know, it's it's not it's not the right crowd. Um, so, th- what else did you read? Because uh, I, I think we got a few. Okay,
1: I read Talon, the first issue of of the
0: the Batman spinoff. Interesting. Uh, we did. Was that sent you? Yes. <laughs> I did not think you would have picked that up.
1: Uh, well, actually, I might have because I I kind of like the zero issue. Hmm, and I, oh, I, I like zero issue much more than like the first issue. Issue hmm. 1, I feel, is is kind of get rid of what I liked about Issue 0. What I liked about Issue 0 was, did you read Issue 0 at all? I didn't. So it basically sets up this character whose name... B- 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 let's see if I can find his name really quickly in the book. No, I can't. Um, he is an escape artist who the court, the court of Owls essentially tries to kill. They have trained him, and then they try and kill him because he's not evil. Sharp mm-hmm. version. And the zero issue, I kind of got the sense of, oh, so this guy can kind of be an updated Mr. Miracle, mm-hmm. um, but sort of mixed with the current take on Hawkeye over at Marvel in that, you know, he's kind of a, a street level, no-nonsense guy who's kind of an okay guy and doesn't really have patience for a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was all, that was interesting. I thought, you know, there, there's there's stuff there with that that I might want to read. And issue one immediately jumps into this. I'm going to take down the owls because they're not actually taken down. Oof. And I'm just kind of like, nah, no mm-hmm. straight back off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, who did the, uh, who? I'm not even aware of the creative. Scott team, really.
1: Snyder uh, is co-plotting with in mm-hmm. the fourth, the scripts by James Stein in the fourth and the art is by Gilliam Marsh. Who it has to be said has a
0: really weirdly Joe Kubert influence. The co- the cover made me think of Kubert a lot. Yeah,
1: it's so will so the inside art, mm-hmm.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: which is really kind of interesting. Uh, he mm. it's 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 a pretty book, but mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not really sold on it. It 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 kind of jumped away from what I liked about the zero issue a bit too quickly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was kind of a letdown Also a letdown, Ghost Issue 1 Oh, interesting Ellie Pseudoconic Phil Noto Issue uh, In part because mm-hmm. I didn't read Issue 0 I actually forgot there was an Issue 0 mm-hmm. um, And then when I went to the story yesterday They had sold out of Issue 0 So I had to jump in with, again, it's one of these things Where the Issue 1 is actually Issue 2 mm. Um, And I really missed the grounding that Issue 1 would have given me because mm-hmm. starting off the story, and it's even listed as part one of four in the comic, so clearly this is meant to be an opening issue. Mm-hmm. starting off the story as I don't know who I am and I'm here because these two Jokers did something with a box. Is not enough information? Because I'm kind of mm-hmm. what did they do with the box? Like who are these <laughs> guys? I mean, I get that you don't like these guys, but who are these guys? Should I not like them? Like, are they bad guys? Are right. dumb? Box? Mm-hmm. How did they do it? Like I get that you don't know who you are, but I have absolutely no idea who you are, beyond that you don't know who you are. Like mm-hmm. much missing for the for me, that I I really felt, um, I felt thrown and and. Phil Noto's art is both pretty, and indistinct enough that the big reveal at the end of the issue does not work.
0: Yeah, you know, it's one of the things with Phil Noto. I love his illustrations a lot. The books that I've tried following him on, I think that his storytelling is not there enough for me. It's
1: not even storytelling. The big reveal at the end is that a character you've seen earlier on comes mm-hmm. back and is then revealed to be someone else. The problem is the character is not distinct enough that you don't immediately recognize it as the character.
0: Mm, so you have that moment of like, wait, who is that? You know, it's that yeah. guy. Oh, Mm-hmm.
1: That guy And then you have to look back and be like yeah Because I guess he does have his hair parted on that side Because Really like are so similar That you really have to notice the hair Wow um, And so yeah that, that And that just blows the end Like it completely destroys the end mm.
0: uh,
1: And the other thing I read is Ed Brubaker's last issue of Captain America
0: Ooh.
1: Which I really liked yeah, yeah. I I stepped off the Captain America train
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, pretty much with the relaunch of the series. Mm-hmm. Um but this is a really, really nice uh not only final issue mm-hmm. but one. Like it's hmm. really nice look back on on the character, not even Brubaker's run on the character, but on the character because the setup is it's Captain America talking to the Crazy nineteen fifties communist hating Captain America, Mm. uh, who Brookbreaker's had through his entire run Mm -hmm. since since the death, and and he's wrapping up that this issue. Mm -hmm. It's also a Cap looks back on his life issue, Mm. and it's just it's really nicely done. It's one of those things where you just read it and you're like, this is just really well done. Like, Mm -hmm. just a really nice grace note. To end your run on, but also just as a as a an issue, mm-hmm. It just works. All everything about this works. It's a really really great final issue.
0: Huh? That's terrific. And it's um
1: Steve Epting is back on art for the
0: issue. Uh, that's also very great. I'm really glad that the two of them got to close out the book together. And it's it's
1: a, it's a really obvious shout out to the first issue. In mm. uh, Captain America stops terrorists who are on top of a train. See, Mm-hmm. The book like you had in the first issue. <laughs> like there's really nice bits about that. Uh there's a lot of shout outs to Engleheart.
0: hmm
1: Uh I I mean really there is one, two, three, yeah, three pages recapping an Engleheart plot. Wow. Twenty page comic Um so yeah, it's it's just it's really, really nice. It it's great.
0: That's terrific. So yeah. Good
1: job, Steve, uh, Steve Englehart. Good job, Ed Brubaker.
0: <laughs> Good job, Steve Englehart, for inspiring Ed Brubaker that much. Good job.
1: Uh, other things <laughs> I've read, and I'll just do this very quickly because we're coming up in our half hour again. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Fables Werewolves of the Heartland, which is the next fable OGN that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Charles Burns' x Out in the Hive. Hmm. I am mm-hmm. reading for uh, Kotaku. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the te- former Techlands comic book club uh, Trinity of myself, Douglas Wolk, and Evan Narcisse are reteaming for Kotaku starting next week.
0: That's terrific work.
1: So yeah, I, I read that. We're, we're reviewing both those, but uh, we're reviewing the Charles Burns books and also Superman Earth One Volume Two. <laughs> 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 and I'm not spoiling the review, but. Um, Douglas Walk texted me at one point during the week going, I'm three pages in and this might be the worst comic I've ever read. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh I, I thought of you while seeing the ads for Earth One volume two. Um and uh I was just like, Oh man, oh man. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's um From the man who brought you Superman Grounded.
0: Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when's the sucker embargoed till?
1: Uh, Next week, maybe?
0: Okay. All right. So considering this will be going up on Tuesday the 30th, I'll probably have to keep you from complaining at length about it before.
1: I'm going to be talking about it on Kotaku, and I think that's actually running on Tuesday. The Kotaku. It's like the embargo's up soon because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. DC, <laughs> 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 DC knows that we're doing it's behind DC knows that Kotaku's doing a round table on it so mm. I don't know hang on I'm going to see when it's out it's actually out this week maybe this week I'm I'm checking when, when is it out yeah it's out it's out on Wednesday
0: next Wednesday or this Wednesday it's out on Halloween Oh okay. Right. So in theory well. I in any event, let's just say maybe we'll go into well, and then we're skipping next week. So uh you you did not enjoy it in the let's, is to put it that way.
1: If you liked Superman Earth one, there is mm-hmm. a chance that you would not like volume two. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it is worse than the first volume. <laughs> uh, in large part because if the first volume felt like the pilot to a television series. Mm-hmm. This feels like the second episode. Which, mm. If you understand, like, is somehow even worse, even more <laughs> underwhelming.
0: <laughs> right, sure, because then it doesn't even have the, 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 the flash of being the launch. I guess. Yeah, it has nothing. Mm.
1: It has nothing going for it.
0: Uh, but also, it doesn't
1: really have. Uh, it doesn't have any sort of conclusion either.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It just, like, stuff happens at the end. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
1: You expect, like, and then there's going to be a next issue. Which, again, sort of jumping ahead and ruining the Kotaku thing, is my problem with the Charles Burns books. Mm -hmm. That there's no... That it doesn't build to anything. Because they're they're all chapters. Which, I have to say, if you're paying $22 for a Charles Burns book... Right. And they are all essentially single issues of a larger story.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, like,
1: I find I that really problematic.
0: Yeah, I, they they sort of packaged it and made noises like they were doing something on, like on the Tintin model, which they're sort of making it look like, but they're clearly not doing the Tintin self-contained model of storytelling.
1: So it's an entire story in a volume. Mm-hmm. Burns books don't even vaguely go near that. Mm-hmm. made really clear in the second volume in, in The Hive, which has mm-hmm. if I had read X Out and Hive when they came out, the mm-hmm. shout-outs in Hive I wouldn't have realized were shout outs to X out. Because they're, you know, they're that subtle, I guess. Like there's no wow. star like for this scene to make sense, you'll have to remember that blah blah blah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's literally just like This will only really make sense to you if you read the two next to each other. And by the way, it still won't make sense. Like, you'll get that it's a reference, but it doesn't make sense. So, yeah, I really really had had heavy problems with the Charles Burns books. Mm.
0: Mm -mm -mm. Well, that's kind of a downer of a little launch column for you then. (laughs) It's like, hey, time to talk about these two books. uh, this one stank, and this one stank worse.
1: <laughs> Douglas loves the Charles Burns books. Does yes, he? And I know that he hates Earth One. Mm-hmm. The fact that he is in both directions, like, more so than me, I feel will make for a really interesting
0: conversation. Sure, sure, absolutely. Hmm. Well, on that merry note... Uh... We should take another break, to...
1: mm-hmm. listener. Enjoy some of our merry tunes, and think about... If you were a Charles Burns character, which Charles Burns character would you be? The answer after this. <laughs>
0: Hello again, <laughs> Graham. We really should make it a point to—I um, don't know—like record your voice and use it for like a howl-esque computer or something like that.
1: <laughs> God, that—that that would be horrible, 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 horrible. I feel also that I did a very bad job with the NPR there because I didn't do the audible breath in first. <gasps> Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, but you did a you did a much better um, scary, overly polite robot that will later kill you voice. So I think it all comes out in the wash.
1: I don't know what you're talking about, Jeff.
0: <laughs> Maybe we can close out this episode with you singing Daisy or something <laughs> else. Awesome I like said, that. you slow down. Give me your arms. <laughs> so. Marvel Comics The Untold Story by Sean Howe. It's a great book, isn't it? It is a phenomenal book. I it was such um such an abundance of gifts. Like I don't know how to describe it cuz cuz the cuz it's such a long juicy read. I actually had to really kind of devote some time to make sure that I got through it in time that we could talk about it because reading it sort of slowly for pleasure which i was doing just on the iphone and what have you it was kind of it was like christmas day times five like <laughs> it really was like having five christmas days in a row with both the giddiness and the occasional bouts of cranky exhaustion on my part it's uh, it, there's it's a
1: really weird book to try and power through Mm-hmm. don't you mm-hmm. think like you do get weirdly exhausted yeah i remember hitting a sort of burnout point um round about the time that jerry conway became editor-in-chief
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: that i was mm-hmm. kind of like holy shit this just doesn't end
0: yeah yeah exactly exactly
1: and and again towards the end actually mm-hmm. I, I had a very similar thing towards the end I, as it got closer to things that i knew mm-hmm. uh i i had this moment of like just You know, get on with it. But also, I got really frustrated about the stuff that was lacking towards the end. I guess.
0: Okay, that's great. Let's let's continue to sing its praises just a little bit because it sounds like we're on the same page about some of some of this stuff. So, um, listeners, if you're listening and you're at all interested in Marvel comics, get this book. Uh, Oh God, yeah.
1: Or for that matter, if you're interested in the history of American comics, because I feel feel that definitely for the like the Silver Age Marvel stuff, all yeah. the way through, all the way through the Shooter Reign, really. Yeah, I think it is actually really good at setting sort of a context of what was going on in the industry.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, and it's just a, it's just a, an incredible overview uh, of so many things. I mean, I know that some of this stuff has been covered in some cases by other books about Marvel um, and in other bits and pieces of established history. One of the things that's really incredibly heartening about Marvel Comics and Told Story, for me, um, um, among its many other triumphs, uh, is the fact that all the years of people continuing to get stories sort of down on tape and in interviews um, allowed for someone as... um, in extremely uh, devoted a researcher as how to be able to pull like a pretty impressively multifaceted story into place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, uh, chalk filled with, this is the other thing that astounded me was the, you know, and I'm, on the one hand, I'm not, I'm totally not a dude who's read like every issue of like, Back Issue Magazine and the Comics Journal. But, you know, I've read more than my share, I would think. And I was still surprised and amazed at how many fucking phenomenal anecdotes How has up his sleeve. Um,
1: Especially for me in the 70s. The 70s oh, is yeah. a golden era in this book. And I don't know if it's because a lot has been written about, like, Marvel Comics in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And there's so much of the 70s that is, I don't know, old enough to be used that you can have nostalgia for, Mm -hmm. but juicy enough that you can be like, really? That happened? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, But not in a malicious way. Like, there seemed to be a a bitterness about the way things went in the 80s and 90s. And I feel there's something in the 70s that's just kind of like, holy shit, can you believe we got away with
0: this? Well... i i I agree with you up until that period basically the period right before jim shooter walks in feels to me um a lot like it feels like a collapse it really i finished that chapter surprisingly like um Feeling like everyone had blown it, you know. It, it that, oh, that everyone you, had you acted. Definitely get the feeling when you when they go through
1: what was it, three or four editors it, in chief? It's, it's space four... of a year. Yeah, four editors
0: in chiefs, editors in chief in a year. You're just like, okay, this is utterly falling apart, you know.
1: And it's kind of amazing the way in which it fell apart. Well, mm-hmm. and here's the thing: on some level, I knew all of that had happened. I guess, mm-hmm. but then seeing the people involved explain it. Yeah, gives you an entirely different perspective on it. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's, you know, anyone who's paid attention to Marvel is like, yeah, there's that period where they couldn't seem to hold an editor-in-chief. Yes. And it's only in this book where you're like, oh God, that's because it was a fucking disaster.
0: Yeah, it was Every- a disaster.
1: Like, there was no... no real setup to the company. The company mm-hmm. was really operating as if it was the 60s still, even though they had, you know, quadruples in size.
0: Right, right. Exactly. And so there really is this thing when thomas leaves he leaves essentially knowing that his position that that position is impossible to be held you know which is part of why i think they they thought about splitting it in two with uh, len wine ween and Marv wolfman and how bad how badly that falls apart too yeah
1: and but it's also like you look at it now and there's or at least i had this this feeling of why is no one seeing why this is like it's very clearly it's very clear why it's falling apart to me mm-hmm. why no one at that time have that perspective And there's, you know the obvious answer is because I'm reading this you know 30 years later
0: <laughs> well yeah <laughs> yeah that's, yeah, that's I, that is true but I also think that there's also you know the way that history is being told and spun you know um, everyone kind of makes it each person in turn who steps into the editor-in-chief uh, role downplays some of the stuff that they did with their own power and and sort of upscaled the impossibility of the situation. Yeah, but... Do, uh, wait, are you saying
1: that you do not think it was an impossible situation? Do you think, I, do you think I, a person could have actually done what they were trying to do at that time?
0: Let's put it this way. I felt that if someone had walked into it with the goal of sort of pulling everything out of control, I think that they could have done, as clearly Shooter stepped in there to do, I think they possibly could have done a more elegant job of it. Um, And I do feel that Conway, Ween, and Wolfman all downplay the extent to which they took that job Decided it was impossible, but rather than doing anything responsible with it, took had gradations of of sort of the corruption of power to it. To for me, I, I still firmly feel, and it's tough because those are those are the pages that I should have noted more heavily um, to, to be able to talk about. But I kind of felt like, you know, Wayne Wolfman and and, and, uh, Conway, Conway even less so than I thought, which surprised me. I'd really saw Conway's step in there as kind of a vengeful power play, angry at being overlooked, a chance for him to settle debts and grab the books that he wanted. And it almost felt like there was less of that than I expected. And a little more of that coming from Wayne and Wolfman than I had expected.
1: Yeah, I I feel that, I feel that that period, no one really comes out of well, but no, I feel that, sure. but I feel that Conway came out better than I was expecting. That's the thing about this book. This book mm-hmm. really gave me sympathy for people that I did not expect to feel sympathy for. Yeah. Um, I came away from it incredibly sympathetic, uh, for Stanley
0: mm-hmm.
1: amazingly. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh I, yeah. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. a, almost from word one,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I came mm-hmm. From, I I felt far more sympathetic for Stanley than I expected it to be. Um, in part because you, I actually really got the sense that he was, he is that guy who was trapped in a world he never made. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. this stuff happened and he was like, great. Cause it's the only thing that I've got going for me, but he didn't really want to
0: be that guy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Although again with Lee, how do I put this? There's um, there's a, there's a lot of – I feel for him, but I also felt that there was a lot of complacency there. Oh, you know? Don't
1: get me wrong. I'm not – when I say I have sympathy for him, I'm also not – I'm not trying to say that he's a good guy or that right, right. he didn't create his own disaster in many ways. Right. Um. But, yeah, I, 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 maybe it's because I was very unsympathetic for Stanley previously. Uh, I see. And so it more more of a surprise for me.
0: Yeah, he's definitely more of a. He is definitely a tragic figure in this book in a way that I would not have characterized him. Yeah. Uh, before that, that that you know, it was kind of like a love him or hate him kind of thing. I think the book does a really great job of showing all the various multivalences of him, both his strengths and his failings. Although I would argue that they. Um, You know, if there, well, I, I think I'll save that for, for a little bit more for some of the criticisms of the book. But yeah, but but Lee, I end up with incredible amounts of sympathy for. I even ended up with more sympathy for Shooter, actually. That's actually to be what honest. I was going to say. And
1: it's funny because, mm-hmm. um, so last week we made a reference to who we might have a special guest. And the special guest was going to be Ian Brill, his friend mm-hmm. of the blog. Uh, sorry, friend of the podcast. Um, and scheduling did not work out. But Ian wrote me a incredibly long email which i still have to write back to about about this book and one of the things Mm he said there was uh and i'm quoting directly here remember when jim shooter seemed to be repairing his legacy with this blog i guess that's all out the window and i don't think that's true like i think shooter do not get wrong shooter comes across as an ass at times in this book but he also comes across as someone
0: who's trying to be professional at a time where no one else is oh well how do i put it like there's there is first stage shooter, second stage shooter, and third stage shooter. First stage shooter, when he comes into Marvel Comics, uh, after seeing the whole mess that's made of it, I have the most sympathy for him that I think I have ever had or will ever have. In addition, the stories about him growing up incredibly poor, working under Mort Weisinger, uh, and I have to say that all the stories about Mort Weisinger in this, in this book he is the one guy who i'm like didn't like him before liked him even less yes, exactly yeah
1: i thought he was a monster turns out he was really a monster yeah he was he
0: was more of a monster than i could have imagined uh but so sh- i start off with an incredible amount of degree uh, of sympathy for a shooter in that first stage in the second stage where things are working right and there's sort of levels of discontent like i can even like Mm, I can even have a lot of sympathy for the idea that some of the things that he was trying to do with the Big Bang or the supposed kill list were very much ideas of, like, think outside the box, do something new with these characters. And also, by reading the book, you see when they get to the mid-80s and they've done a variety of the things that he was pushing for, they do end up invigorating the titles. Yeah, and also...
1: There seems to have been a certain element of uh, telephone in it, where mm. what he wanted to do and what everyone thought he wanted to do are different things. Right. You know, like I, you can completely understand why it was it Doug Munch who was essentially like, "Oh my God, he's wanting to kill, turn Captain like kill Steve Rogers and turn Captain Americans an accountant." Yeah, but you also see that that wasn't actually what he was trying to do. You know, like there's, there's that is really interesting for me as well seeing seeing the two sides both tell their versions of the stories and Mm -hmm. then how putting it in perspective with what actually happened. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. is really helpful.
0: Well, yeah, I think it is too. I think, I think, I do think that if nothing else, it makes it easier to believe that the truth is somewhere in between. Yes, you know, like which sometimes how flat out comes out and says and points to and does a great job with. And other times he just sort of leads you to infer. And then in a few other times, unfortunately, I have a very, yeah. He does. Yeah.
1: Fudge. yeah there are parts where he fudges.
0: Yeah. And, and that, and that's um, something that, that I think uh, is, is, is going to be worth discussing at least a, so, a little point. further So
1: on. here's a question. Did you mm-hmm. like me think that pretty much once, once um, shooters out the the door, and mm-hmm. Tom DeFalco takes over. Did the book sort of lose a lot of its luster for you?
0: Hmm. That's actually a really good question. Uh... I don't... Know what. Uh, well, again... It... Even
1: before the image exodus, I feel, mm-hmm. I feel that there'd come... I don't know if it was that Howe's interest had waned, but I felt mm-hmm. that he went from... the Like, the 70s part of the book is amazing. Yes, and I feel that once he gets like the late '80s, it's a different book. He goes from yeah. um, here's the creative guys and here's what they're doing to here is the you know I've gone from the micro from the micro and how the micro illustrates the macro to here is just the macro.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I I think let's put it this way: things get more problematic once you hit the '80s on. Because I feel that you start getting stuff in which, my theory was, is, is that, that how starts getting into areas of Marvel Comics in which he himself is personally invested in, in the first part. And B, the other part is, um, this thing is, I, part, of the, part of the amazing thing about Marvel Comics The Untold Story is it is like, um, it's like building a dam and releasing a a river, you know what I mean? He has so much material here that he has to control, that he has, he makes choices for his momentum to be able to explain, to you know, he make that. sometimes I felt like the choices that he was making weren't even necessarily his biases of like, oh, this person's good or this person's bad, but more like, how do I get from point A to point B? Oh, I've got to go here. You know what I mean? So one thing that struck me that I thought was fascinating, and I could be wrong, is I've got the impression that Howe himself has no love whatsoever for Chris Claremont's X-Men. Um, and so although he's perfectly happy to, to quote Claremont a lot, he, A, always talks about the book in relatively disparaging terms, I feel, and as time goes on, talks about it like it is a weird, unique outlier filled with Claremont's obsessions rather than something that the entire company was sort of changing its shape around, if you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: it's, it's Claremont gets incredible short shrift considering the mm-hmm. impact that he had, not only on Marvel, but on the industry at large. Yes. um if you especially if you put it in context with like how much play you know Englehart gets earlier or yeah. or you know some of those creators it's 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 a really odd blind spot
0: yeah yeah it really is an odd blind spot and it's one of those things that really throws me off balance about the book because on the one hand you know it's like I do I you know adore engelhart Gerber like his 70s taste is pretty impeccable it also seems to fall very thoroughly in canon uh, i guess or or in line with with what are considered currently sort of acceptable popular tastes i guess oh and starlin of course mm-hmm. but when you because he's kind of got that thing about claremont it really his attempts to sort of minimize him it leads to a weird yeah like you said it leads to that weird blind spot Additionally, the other thing that I find that's somewhat frustrating is, is that um, apart from a reference to Phil Soling and a couple of references to uh, Chuck Rosansky later, he, he's very good at quoting the statistics about what's happening with the direct market as it grows. He seems incredibly reluctant to talk about the fact the retailers what they want what they're interested in um there's a in other words there's a whole aspect of dealing with that marketplace that he's interested in the individual story of carol kalish and you know her life and her death but i don't think that he really has too much interest in showing how the retailing side of things ends up shaping the direct marketplace other than just the widely accepted and i think not entirely correct approach of you know oh the retailers were all fans too and the writers were all fans and currently it became a super fan driven marketplace
1: yeah but not you know? just that like he he kind of ignores the direct markets until heroes world and even then he kind yes. of downplays heroes world
0: yeah 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 he downplays heroes world and he does some really weird things with the retail with mentions of the retailers like a, a like as hero's world is shaping up he refers to the retailers as paranoid like paranoid retailers who were already looking to you know for ways in which they might be edged out of the marketplace you know protested vigorously when marvel took over blah 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 and i was kind of like That's a really weird characterization of it. Like, there's not a lot of mentions of retailers, but when there are, like, the word suspicious gets attached or paranoid. Well, again, um, you've got to,
1: like, I think anyone who's been following his Tumblr can mm -hmm. tell that Sean Howe is himself a fan.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, very much so. You've
1: got to take into account that a lot of the fan base doesn't like
0: the direct market.
1: Because the yeah. the received wisdom is the direct market is what killed
0: comics, right? Right. And he he seems to subscribe to that, and, and in ways that I find frustrating. He also does a few choices that are kind of odd. Like he talks about how he talks about how at one point um, all the product that Marvel is releasing, like Obnoxio, you know, versus the X Men or whatever, and he talks about it as if it's sort of like oh but these are fanish interests you know kind of like the like it something like but these weren't something like cynical attempts to grab market share at least not at the creative level which you know is kind of disingenuous and then later 10 pages later he has a chapter that closes on first comics filing a lawsuit against marvel for flooding um the marketplace with product and he, he mentions it as the reason why shooter decides not to buy dc yeah you know but again kind with, of
1: glosses over it. there's weird factual things that pop out and again they, they pop out depending i think on, on the reader's own interest or something own interests that, uh, and biases but yeah. at one point there's uh especially in the 90s mm-hmm. uh, there's a point where he's like you know and they got gail fan favorite gail simone on to write night nurse and my first thought was that comic never came out
0: yeah exactly exactly mm-hmm. like
1: that's a really yeah. really weird mistake to make
0: comic never came out yeah it's it it was one of those weird like oh the other thing that's amazing is is the fact that mark wade is mentioned once but is quoted like four or five times but uh, like anonymously like in the sense of a writer wrote on a retailing board or one writer said about bob harris i
1: I found a lot of that really annoying where it was the anonymous because i really that's what i mean like for me, at the when Shooter leaves the company, at mm-hmm. that point in the book shifts from being a book about Marvel Comics as a creative entity to being mm-hmm. about Marvel Comics as a business entity. Not just right, and I can almost see the argument of well, that's what happened to the company. But even mm-hmm. so, it's a it's a jolt as a reader. Yeah.
0: Well, it is a jolt as a reader, but also part of my problem is that's the part that how himself really doesn't want to go there. And so consequently, it never quite goes there properly. You know what I mean? I think that's the thing. I think I see your point. It turns to a story about business, but apart, but it continues to be sort of more about the micro of like how the editorial staff was driven insane by editorial bonuses, or oh, no. how no, the advertising yeah, yeah. guys step in. You yeah, know.
1: It, it's, it's about how... I guess what I mean is it shifts from the creative people working in Marvel Comics how yeah. the business affected the people working at marvel comics
0: yes exactly without really talking about the business
1: yes or, exactly or anymore talking about the creators so you get yeah. um like in the 70s you get the creators like you get Engelhart doing the great story about uh the one thing i couldn't show during my beast run was that the beast started smoking dope which i find insanely charming i don't know what yes I read, but i really do it's like it's such a Fanish thing, but also such... A, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, of course! Um, yes. But then you get to in the 90s, like... And then Tom DeFalco knew that the bloom was off the rose when a book only got, like, had half a million orders. and But there's no mention right. of who made the book or why the book was made or, or any of that. Or for that matter, right. who replaced the image creators? Talked yes. about the image creators leaving and how that impacted mm-hmm. the bottom line and how that drove the variance. But not about who right. created who followed them. Right. And, and yeah, no. it's, yeah, it, it really, it shifts its focus in a really weird disorienting way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, and so, so yeah, at that point, it just kind of becomes sort of more, it feels less unified. It becomes a case of telling anecdotes and about personalities, but also in a way in which, yeah, because the marketplace is no longer personality driven in the same way it yeah there's there's a way in which i can see where he he felt i'm sure his publisher his editor and his agent all felt this story has to run all the way up until you know the avengers comes out and makes a whole bunch of money until it's marvel marvel triumphant but you it really feels like his heart is in it up to Like, I think I honestly I think he wanted to show it up until shooter leaves and then maybe until the image creators themselves leave. But even then, at that point, I'm finding really some weird, like all sorts of weird discrepancies that made me think, like, he's not really following this. He's not really like either he has his own biases or his research showed him one thing but he didn't really have any interest in pursuing it. So it's it's a variety of really weird stuff in the second half of the book. And like you said, it may just be that our memories are more entrenched, but it also kind of feels like at some stage there was a gear that he couldn't quite shift into. So, and that may be the part, And on the other hand, it may be the part at which, you know, <laughs> day three of Christmas in a row, you're just like, okay, okay no more anecdotes. I I can't take any more. I, I honestly don't know. I think, and it, may, it might be a collision of the same, but the absolute incredible visceral delight that I felt reading from the 60s through the 70s, even the stuff from the 40s, you know, and at every stage, there's just, like I said, there's anecdotes that you don't know um, and love. Um, but even by yeah, by the time you get into the 90s, it's not just that the topic, the subject matter gets grim. There are degrees in which How is working too hard to to have the cake and eat it too, uh, and possibly ignoring his biases. Like I was, I was fascinated and appalled when How goes on to basically say, you know, Mark Grunwald picked up a copy of Rife, Rob Liefeld's Captain America number one, and then died that night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he literally says that. And then he kind of does a little bit of backpedaling about it, too, at the same time. Like, it's like, I want to have the oomph of this. But, you know, let's face it. That's not really what happened. You know, and it's kind of like, dude, are you are you going there or are you not going there? And I thought that what really helped him was, for better or for worse, with the 60s and the 70s, he had... At least enough of uh, well, I've done enough of the research. I'm going to make my judgment call as to as to what Well, happened.
1: I also feel that the book suffers as it comes closer to today, in large part because these people are still around and still working. Oh yeah, do you know what I mean? Like yeah, especially yeah, yeah. when he gets to Casada uh, and everyone coming into the company, it honestly mm-hmm. starts to feel for me like he's towing the company line.
0: Oh, very do you know what I mean? So. Like, it, very it's, very so.
1: When you get to the Marvel Knights thing. You, it pretty much is. And then Joe Cozada came along and the writing got a lot better. And so did the art and the paper got a lot better as well. And then he was the editor-in-chief and he teamed up with a crazy guy called Bill Jameis. But Bill Jameis was just a little bit too crazy. So he got replaced. And then the Avengers was a success.
0: Right. Well, there's, there's a little bit of a hurried and then this happened and this happened and this happened. I think he actually sort of did. A, he did a weird. What happens is it becomes weighted. He's like trying to tell both sides of the story sort of, but what he's saying is, is like some felt that the Marvel Knights books had preferential treatment. And then he cuts to like two or three quotes from Jimmy Palmiotti directly saying why that wasn't necessarily the case. You know what I mean? So it becomes, it becomes weighted, but I mean, there's a lot of that that goes on earlier too, with, you know, uh, I was, Really surprised that the the word choices that Howe used for the Steve Ditko's contributions, if nothing else, to Marvel Comics was skewed, you know. So so by the end, I kind of did have this feeling. And of course, he's got some really good quotes, both insightful, but also self-protecting from someone like Tom Brevoort. So it kind of was like at some point I'm like, okay, is he beholding to his sources, his bias, or, or both. is there kind of a bias? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I or know, it's,
1: it's very – but again, like it, it, he's definitely beholding to his bias because the mm-hmm. the part where he shifts from the macro to the micro in the second half of the book is when he's talking about mm-hmm. Gerber and Howard the Duck. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, when he talks about mm-hmm. the Howard the Duck makes a reappearance in Marvel Team-Up, and the mm-hmm. crosses over with the Savage Dragon, and why that was a betrayal. That is so weirdly micro, after you've pretty much ignored all modern creators up until that point.
0: Yeah. Do you know
1: what I mean? Like, it's quite clear, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, but it's, come on, man, it's, it's Gerber. I
0: don't mm-hmm. know, it's just,
1: it's yeah. it's... I feel like we're complaining too much. I really enjoyed the book despite all my complaints i th- I just just I think that the first half is so much stronger than the second half.
0: Well, it is tough. it is tough. I felt this way too. My worry was is that I was going to complain about everything um because because some of these things are troubling and haunting me. There's a way in which I was kind of like, well, I've got a more troubled relationship with Marvel, so it's not entirely surprising, but yeah, that's why I keep wanting to say like. But there's also so many fucking great, like, do you, I? the great thing about this book is I kind of thought that one of the things we could do is if we talked about our three favorite anecdotes from the book, each of us, very quickly, chances are good that still leaves a good 15 to 20 to 30 anecdotes behind that people won't know. You know, and still will have the joy of discovering. In this
1: I'm way. trying to think what my three favorite Iron does is Engelhart talking about the beast smoking dope is without doubt my favorite part of the entire book, just because it's so it's so weirdly personal. Yeah, I, I just really, really appreciated that. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The the Jim Shooter Big Bang story in general, I think, is is a really strong thing and a part that you can't read and then go, oh fuck, that's what DC did with Flashpoint in the New 52. And, and oh, I think yeah. I, I there's a me. really great argument against that.
0: I'm going to make you read that.
1: Oh great. Uh, See now, now you say that I'm going to have to find it again. Come yeah. on. Sorry about work.
0: This. Okay. Well, no, I've, I've outed, outed, yeah. Got it? Oh good. That's fast.
1: Uh allegedly, the idea behind Shooter's proposed big bang was this. The Marvel Universe had become too complicated, the histories of the characters too long and involved for the creation of accessible new stories. Years later, DeFalco remembered the pitch. There'll be something in the sky that will indicate things are changing, and then there will be a big bang, and then we're going to come out with new versions of pre-existing characters. We said, why would you do this? Shooter said, a lot of the stuff we're producing today, and then I lose the place. Thanks, Kindle. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the stuff we're producing today really isn't (laughs) of the high quality we want it to be. We said, yeah, but we're going to be using the same creators. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, there's no Big Bang for creators, yeah. I think is – Yeah, that's like – that is – that's Flashpoint right there. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there are elements – Actually, there was a great moment where Steve Gerber paralleled Alan Moore in the book for me, um, it, which it, it, yeah. I hate mentioning because it's not one of my top three. But you know that thing where he's like – um, he pops, Steve Gerber says something along the lines of like, if I didn't know any better, I'd swear that Marvel were buying up companies that I was working for and putting them out of business. Yes. You know, when when they buy up Ultraverse or yeah. whatever. So I thought that, I was like, oh, that's really funny. And, and One the, of, uh,
1: the Englehart, uh, the, the Malibu thing, I feel is really weirdly uh, glossed over as well.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's talked about to the extent that it has kind of gerber and engelhardt in it i suppose you know but it even avoids some of the weird money quotes that i thought that they would use from that no actually i take it back he does have one of them where they're they're like this feels like what marvel used to feel like i, I remember yeah, it was like, in there, yeah. yeah he got that in there yeah uh for me one of my favorite anecdotes in here that i did uh, that blew my mind was the fact that archie goodwin had uh reg- you know Critiqued Andy Warhol and rejected him, yes. uh, his work f- when he was work when uh, Goodwin was working at another magazine and I can't remember which one it was. I wonder if I can search on Warhol real quick. Unfortunately, I did this brilliant thing of like, oh, I'll take a bunch of page captures on my um, iPad and then I'll be able to look those up. Um, and then, of course, what happened was I didn't put them in any order, so I've been silently scrolling <laughs> through here, like swearing at myself, like I don't, they're not. Why don't I have any order here? Um, so let's see, searching, searching, searching. Uh, he'd reject, yeah, he'd worked at Redbook. He was an editor at Red Book at the art Yeah, which, which he, was in itself fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was like, God, he was at Red yeah. where he'd rejected Andy Warhol's portfolio and then lectured Warhol about tracing other people's work. That is such a phenomenal anecdote. I love that in all ways. Um, the other anecdote that i love the the one that actually made me um like you know kind of bust a gut laughing and that i had not been familiar about of didn't know about maybe it's a widespread one and i'm vamping while the search is going there we go is the um bill sinkevich on uh the new mutants doing the art and about the letters of praise and letters of horror that poured in one written in crayon the shooter simply read Get rid of him, Jimmy, before he ruins everything. Like that is like, <laughs> and it's and it's all caps. And I'm like in crayon, I'm like, I love that story. It's probably apocryphal as all hell, but how can you not adore that, you know? Um, and then there was actually, a. a there's a lot of um, footnotes that I thought were incredibly notable. I love the fact that like Ditko ended up taking on the Hulk uh, after Kirby left only because he wanted to draw New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of wonderful, right? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. Oh, somebody who I liked before this book and kind of came out a little bit in love with was Anne Nocenti. Like, all of the Ann Nocenti quotes and stories in here are primo.
1: I, you have a feeling know? Anne Nocenti could write, like, the greatest book about her time in Marvel, don't you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, 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 was, there is. I
1: love the footnote about... Uh, the Stanley and John Romita proposal for Playboy.
0: Oh, happened. God, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah trying yeah, to yeah. find it.
1: Um, Stan and Romita were soon very quietly working on a proposal for Playboy that included characters named Lord Peckerton and Clitana, the High Priestess. <laughs> the first issue was to open with a shot of the ruler of a central empire using, quote, chicks as footstools. Playboy, trying to compete with Penthouse's Wicked Wanda, demanded more S&M. Romita balked, and Stan followed him in solidarity. That's the only time I can point to Stan passing up a chance to make money, Romita later said.
0: Romita is another guy He comes across really well, I think. He comes across really well, and I'm fascinated to the extent to which I think in some of the later sections when you have people in they have like a source of the bullpen said this is it this is the absolute ruin of us like i clearly think that that was ramita like i think he he had he got great and very extensive interview with ramita and made the made the most of it um uh but yeah that i do ramita comes out very i think i'm not sure like well but he certainly comes out incredibly candidly like he comes out as a very human character yeah was very humble and aware of his foibles and that really does, ends up counting for a lot. yeah I, think,
1: I do feel that a lot yeah. of the um really entertaining anecdotes for me are in the footnotes i'm just scrolling through mm-hmm. the footnotes here and i'm seeing the bit about Engelhart and george tusker working in hero for hire
0: yes yeah uh,
1: in a yeah. story that appeared in Luke Cage Hero for Hire, issue 8, Engelhardt said that artist George Tuska, who would ignore Engelhardt's subplots and send back artwork with the explanation, I didn't feel like drawing that, tricked him into referring yes. to Luke Cage as a nice Schwartz boy. Engelhardt didn't realize that Schwartz was his derogatory Yiddish term for a black person. An awkward apology appeared three issues later. What can I tell you? Engelhardt shrugged. I'm from Indiana.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, that was impressive. Uh, yeah, no, the footnotes are filled with, I love the one where, um, there's the anonymous writer who says that one of the trio of Alan Weiss, Jim Starlin and Al Milgram, like, is like one of those guys had it in for me and he refuses to say which one. And it was like, is like my ex-girlfriend went, went out with him and all he wanted to do was drop out. Fuck
1: yes. I remember that one.
0: I love that anecdote. And I'm also like, okay, I'm, I'm really inclined to believe that it's Starlin, but you know, I mean, that's kind of like, it was kind of great. It was like, I'm guessing that writer is Conway. And I'm guessing that that right, that the, that the person that he's talking about is Starlin, but I have no idea why. Um, another great anecdote Peter Paul had served jail time in the 1970s for cocaine possession and defrauding Fidel Castro for 8.7 million dollars in a bizarre coffee shipment scheme <laughs> that involved plans to sink a Panamanian freighter. That is, that is for people who don't know. Peter Paul ends up being Stan Lee's uh, Stan Lee business Media, partner, yeah. yeah, of Stanley Media. I want to
1: do one more, and then I'm going to stop. You know who my inspiration mm-hmm. was for becoming a comic book writer? Jerry Conway asked in comics interview issue 13. Shooter. That is a great because story. Because Jim Shooter is only a year and a half older than I am. And I saw his name mentioned in the Superman story that he'd written in the mid 60s. And it said, 13 year old Jim Shooter wrote the story. And I thought, Jesus Christ, I'm 13 years old and I can write as well as this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that so much.
0: Yeah, that is that is completely great. Um yeah, I think I think I basically told my three. Although I will mention, yeah, I guess my last one is that I had no idea that um, the letter when Jarvis quits the Avengers was the resignation letter that Dave Cockrum wrote to Marvel um, with the words, with, with, you know, the appropriate nouns swapped yeah. out. I actually, I actually
1: I, did know that because it was... Um... Comic book resources has a column called Oh God! Is the call oh, yeah. something
0: Comic Book Legends yes, and re- yes. Legends Yeah by by Brian Corronin yeah. who I don't know if he listens to the podcast. Uh, they they had they, they had
1: that in once with the page and I was like that's fucking great
0: <laughs> Yeah Yeah actually there is that thing where it's like I really do need to pick up the Comic Book Legends Revealed book because um, I'll search on stuff It was kind of like that brilliant thing that we uncovered about the Submariner and the Aquaman Yeah it did it Um, like two weeks later or something uh, i think three years earlier Oh, was it? i think so i was like huh okay well i'm behind the curve on this one like seriously it was like 2008 or some sort of thing um yeah there's just so there's so many good stories in here um i don't know in any event so hopefully uh listeners you can really get the sense that we adore um marvel the untold story and yet and I have, think the, yet have
1: real problems with it.
0: Yeah, which, you know, I think is maybe maybe that's a good sign, I think. I mean, it's not a great sign for the book, but considering the book is inhumanly ambitious, it sort of perhaps seems inevitable. You know? I do realize I did have the realization that in a sense Sean Howe I mean part of it was like, Jesus Christ, there's stuff in here that I didn't know. Um But there is stuff where I'm like, no, that's not quite right, or that's sort of a mischaracterization, or that's really ignoring some very crucial points here. Um, You know, in that sense, Graham, I feel like we, uh, like most books about history that come out, I don't have an opinion on them because I, I wasn't there or I'm not a historian. But, you know, we are a little... We're very experienced lay people, I guess. So I think it is really easy for us to to have things that are going to trip us up. Um, but I also feel that in that for that reason, I think even though we recommend it tremendously, I think it is kind of helpful to talk about the areas that we find gave us pause. Yeah, you know? uh, definitely.
1: I because here's the thing. I I really do think that people should read this book. I think it's a wonderful book. But Absolutely. I also don't want to give the impression that. Everything that's in it is entirely unbiased, or for that matter, it's not deeply weighted towards what how obviously found interesting.
0: It's 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 yeah.
1: not a complete and exactly correct book, but yes, that does, that exactly. doesn't mean it's not
0: a good book. Well, there's even parts where it trips over itself. It, it is an excellent book. Like, did you catch that thing where, like, um, in like Howe mentions how at one point essentially um Claremont gets to rewrite the dialogue in Byrne's Fantastic 4 for Gene Grey's like a, a flashback or reappearance or something like that and this is supposedly part of what gets Byrne thinking about jumping to DC and doing Superman and then later in the book Byrne is talking about how he makes the decision to go do Superman and later characterizes bringing Claremont in to re-dialogue that scene as a way of punishing him for working, you know, basically going to work with both DC and Marvel. You're completely silent. Did it? Did our phone just cut off?
1: I'm back. Apparently I had somehow <laughs> bumped the mute button.
0: What I. Oh, thank I God.
1: Everything's fine. Don't worry. Um. What I was going to say is, I think there's some element of fudging going on there. Like I said, I th- I think the later he gets, the more he fudges. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm just more aware of his fudging, and like there's fudging going on through the whole
0: thing. Um, yes, right, but, right. There's the the areas where we have. But I was kind of like, but that doesn't even. That makes it's one sense. of the few times. Exactly with what you said five pages earlier, which again, considering this is a book that covers.
1: Like Jesus, 70 years you know, of history.
0: <laughs> yeah, it kind of makes sense that every once in a while you hit a period that was rewritten that that slipped through both the editor and, and the writer. But uh, but still, tremendous book. Oh, although I have to say, and this is the last question, it's not complaining about the book, but this is the first book that I've ever read on the Kindle mm-hmm. uh, app for the iPhone and the iPad where I had problems with it. Um, problems? Oh, because
1: I, I, I actually read it on a Kindle.
0: Okay, well, then this is what I was going to ask you. One thing is I did a shitload of highlighting, which is uh, one thing that I, um, I've done on other books, usually books that I check out of the library that I'm doing research on. I do a lot of highlighting. This is one of the few times where I would highlight a section on a book and then it would disappear. Like the highlighting, like I would move a page and then I jump back and the highlighting would just be gone. When I first downloaded the book, it only had section numbers, not page numbers, and then it switched to having both page numbers and section numbers, but then would still move to areas where it would only have section numbers, which was odd. And then finally, my big problem on the iPad, this was not a problem, but on the iPhone, I would hit the asterisk to jump to a footnote, and then you're supposed to hit the asterisk at the top of the screen to jump back, and whenever I would do that, it would not go back. It would, you know, 95% of the time I would, you know, the, the main Kindle menu would like spring up where I push my thumb because it perceived it as I was pushing in the top corner of the page rather than the actual footnote. Um, Unbelievable nightmare. Got to the point where what I'd have to do is I would highlight a word before the footnote, read the footnote, and then and my notes and marks. Look for the highlight of that word so I could jump back to the text,
1: which is that that sounds of... more like a Kindle app for other devices problem than a Kindle problem. app because I didn't yes. have any of those problems.
0: Yeah. So I should say on the one hand, uh, so the majority I did it on my iPhone. I had a lot of problems with the iPhone in that regard. The iPad, of course, with the larger text and the larger screen size, there will, there wasn't a problem of the footnote being up there uh, too high in the corner, but I still had the problem with disappearing uh, highlights. And as Graham points out, these are the apps for the iPhone and an iPad, and also right after a pretty major OS release. So things were probably still pretty buggy, but I did want to mention it for people because, on the one hand, the thrill and delight of being able to buy this book and then read it anywhere, and I swear to God, I really did read it everywhere, um, was somewhat mitigated by the fact of my ability to actually read it. <laughs> yeah. Was, well, it's, it's, the, it's the, uh, you know, you'll be really curious. I haven't tried reading uh, uh, David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest, unlike an iPhone. But with its dozens and dozens and dozens of footnotes, um, or endnotes, I should say, I could see it similarly being a problem. This was the first book that I read that had that sort of format and was kind of tricky. So, people who are doing it should look appropriately. But you've got the you just have, you don't even have not just the Kindle you're reading it on a on like a Kindle Fire HD. Uh,
1: I'm reading on a Kindle Fire. I don't know if it's Kindle Fire HD. Maybe I'm reading on hmm. the one that is essentially the new iPad. When the when the new iPad was announced I was like, oh look it's a white version of my Kindle
0: yeah I think I think you've got the hD on it then I'm assuming if you're if you got the the biggest it's newest, not the biggest
1: uh, it's the seven inch let's see hmm. I'm trying to look it for the Kindle store for some reason it's not work with me now it's <laughs> no it's not the hD I think <laughs> no it is it's the Kindle fire seven inch hD is the one I have
0: Okay. So it's a seven inch yeah. HD, which well done. Now, are you pretty happy with that? Yeah, it uh, took
1: me a while to get used to it. Did you say? Uh I spent maybe two weeks being like, it doesn't work like an iPad. What what mm-hmm. is going on? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work like an iPad. What the hell? Um <laughs> and then very quickly got over it to the point where now when like I I'm even just like handing Kate over her iPad, her iPad seems too big. Mm. Um so yeah, it 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 I took me a while to get used to it. The, it's definitely not mm-hmm. as intuitive as an iPad, but oh. like it does everything I needed to do. Do you know what I mean? Well,
0: that being said, my next little question is: Does that include reading comics? Yes. Are the and you don't feel like the comics page is too small at seven no. inches?
1: That was actually a worry of mine. Interesting. Uh, but mm-hmm. no, I don't.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, this is this is huge i it, it's something that i was talking about with people on twitter and i was like i realize i can sort of check with Graham, you know it seeing which size you had is i couldn't really see myself reading smaller than the ipad screen like a lot of people think that that's too small for them i don't have that problems but every time i've looked at like the kindle fires i'm like those are too small but not a problem uh, it
1: you. depends what i'm reading uh, I at mm. one point had a um, Rogue Trooper collection from Rebellion, and mm. that was actually mm-hmm. too small. And it wasn't too small; like it was too small for a really weird reason, which is I was uh, I had a review PDF, and right. the resolution made the t- made the lettering too hard to read Ooh. at that size.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but that was like that that was that particular thing. Everything on Comicsology, mm-hmm. for example, reads fine.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to know. We even without necessarily doing guided view. I've, just not, really I've not I've not done guided view in
1: Comicsology in the Kindle at all.
0: No, oh, okay. This is really good to know
1: um, for me, and hopefully for listeners. Are you Are you thinking of getting yourself a Kindle Fire or a, a new iPad?
0: Uh, I don't think so. Honestly, currently I'm obsessed with with. Uh, hopefully getting enough money together for the holidays to to get myself a Mac air. Um, But, you know, as my iPad one chugs along, um, part of me finds myself kind of tempted, particularly since they more or less introduced the iPad stealth, introduced the iPad four and it's available now and is twice as fast as the three and is the same price. I'm kind of like, well, maybe if I can't swing a Mac air, you know, I don't know. I'm a mess.
1: <laughs> Don't worry. I I, I sort of quasi news about the new iPad and was like, I'm not even sure I'm to that. That's just going to confuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the photo. I was like, yeah, that that's my Kindle. It's white. It's great.
0: Right. Well, the iPad Mini again, not so much. But interestingly enough, um, I also like uh, uh, I, a family member uh, bequeathed me their old uh amazon kindle 2 which i pretty much use to um i haven't really used that much because it's like it's big it's awkward the page literally flashes every time you hit the next page button but it's kind of nice yeah but it is sort of nice in that if you're a member of amazon prime and you have a kindle device you can borrow books for free which um before i didn't quite have those all those boxes checked, but I have to admit there are times when I see people on a bus reading just kind of a, you know, the next version up, the Kindle 3 or the Kindle DX, which is nice and flat and is just there for reading books, but also seems like it's the right mix of not seeming too expensive that I would feel weird reading it on BART, but it's also still bigger than an iPhone or yeah. something like no, that. No, I mean,
1: I I really so. like... The Kindle Fire for that. I really like the Kindle in terms of its size for reading prose. I think it's spectacular. Oh, I right. think it's really, oh, good. really good. So I, I would, I would hardly recommend it.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, that is that is something to keep in mind.
1: Listeners, we are Sir? possibly boring you to death right now.
0: I don't. You know, that was brief and it was tech stuff uh, about comics. <laughs> so let's say. <laughs> let's paint this with a sunny picture and it's like listeners you got the added bonus of hearing us talk tech for a few minutes so um but we really should go we we probably should
1: some of us have work to do
0: yes i actually have an old friend that i have to pick up halfway across town in about uh, 45.
1: I, I really hope you weren't going to say like 10 minutes. Something <laughs> else going to be like, Jeff, get off the phone, for the love of God. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, we're taking this week off. Am I correct? That is correct. For my
0: birthday. Yes.
1: Uh, people, as you're listening to this, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the Tuesday, which is to say, Wednesday, Halloween is Jeff Lester's birthday. Um, first of all, in the comment section, Leave Jeff Lester a happy birthday comment. Leave him a happy birthday comment on Twitter. He's at Lazy Bastard. That's B A S T I D. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, tell him happy birthday. And also, someone who I can't remember the name of, and you're gonna have to help me on this, came up with a great idea of how to give Jeff a present, which is if you've bought a three ninety nine Marvel comic with a free digital code, give Jeff mm. the digital code to download,
0: because that way he can
1: read Marvel comics without any extra money going to Marvel.
0: That is true. That is true. It's kind of, uh, the, the very awesome person who, uh, suggested it. And I, I'm hold on, because of course I always get to, I tried to use, look it up
1: really quickly. Uh, it.
0: It, it is, it's, it's Ben Lippman. Yes, it is. It
1: is
0: right? Ben Lippmann. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, tried and true, What not? Ben Lippman, uh, was kind enough to send me a bunch of his unused digital codes, from his from the marvel books that he's reading and i haven't downloaded them yet i i think i will though and i am going to read those books so that we can actually talk about them even though they're somewhat late as he pointed out it it it's kind of a zero-sum game it does not support marvel because it's, he it's, has yeah, already it's bought a free the issue record, yeah yeah yeah, but it also doesn't pirate Marvel because they are actually free digital codes of the company's
1: uh, And so, people, so, if you have if, those, um, give them to Jeff as a birthday present, because that, that sure. would be lovely. Yep. And other than that, you should just yep. give Jeff presents anyway. Uh, do, do you have Do you have an Amazon <laughs> wish list? Uh, no. You don't? Are, are you
0: is this a lying? I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna look it up. Yes, damn it. I do have one. Yes, I do have one. Yes. Um yeah, I don't think anyone really has to do that. I'd be happy with digital codes, but there's probably a few things in there if you want to go crazy. I have to admit, um I've been dying to read um oh god, what is it called? The the book that was so influential to Whedon on Firefly and Buffy. Um I have I have no idea what that book is uh it, it, it's, it's isn't it violence is regeneration the myth it's, no it's something is regeneration the myth of violence in the old wet fuck now i've got to look it up on my own gift list i've had it on there for fucking ever so um uh it was apparently a huge influence on him and i can like see just reading the title um where is my gift gift I, it's gonna do one of those things where i have to actually log on to see my own wish list because that's how they roll. Um... Well, then don't. Other people can look it up. People, buy, buy Jeff the <laughs> present,
1: the book that it was written. Um If only so, I could actually find out what that book is called. That'd be great if you do that. Thank you very much, listeners. Yes. Anyway, yeah, we're not around this week, um, which for you is going to be the first week of November. Um, that's right. But we will be back the following week, and in this crazy world of comics, really, who has any clue what we're going to be talking about?
0: boy that's for sure like the entire industry could well uh bounce upside down but you know we'll be able to talk about it wow it really is like wish list here's a wish list fuck you how do you <laughs> like that for a wish list like re- oh here we go third times the charm uh let's see do we have it in here the quantum thief the fractal prince the gone away world a bunch of car seats that i don't actually need um wow i really need to clean this up ooh thrill power overload i really want a copy of that but it's out of print so it's like 31 bucks hey
1: people in Um, britain
0: (laughs) is it oh it's probably (laughs) yeah there's probably uh
1: there's i know there's a paperback version in britain i don't know if it's still in print but probably
0: here it is regeneration through violence the mythology of the american frontier 1600 to 1860 by richard slotkin um has five reviews five stars Like I said, apparently, I'm guessing that Slotkin was a professor of Whedon's, or else it was assigned to him in a class, but it seems like an immensely interesting book.
1: So yes, people, buy Jeff that, if you love him. And you should love him, because Jeff's great, and he does this for you every single week, apart from the weeks we take off.
0: I'm editing all this out now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, you really shouldn't. And if you do, I'm just gonna leave things in the comments, being like, Jeff is a bastard. Jeff. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, God, people we're going insane now. And also, we've we've lasted for an hour. We've given another two hour. What? Wait, what? That I? We've got to cut this down, Jeff. This is getting ridiculous.
0: I know it is kind of it's it's it, it is crazy value for the dollar. <laughs> I know that. Know it, people. Yes.